the man, the man with the movie boy. Because <laughs> cause Sean Bean is in this film and right. he's in Goldeneye. Sure. And not Goldfinger. Yeah, I would have done the Goldeneye one, but it's not as memorable. You can, right. People wouldn't have got it if I just went, Murphy, Murphy boy. Like, it wouldn't work, because I also can't quite remember the theme yeah, of Goldeneye. I, 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 I just remember it goes Golden Goldeneye. <laughs> I, that's further along than I am with, with that particular Bond theme. Exactly. That's why I went, Murphy boy. Because then you know it's it's Goldeneye. <laughs> What, what what's the best Bond theme? Do you think? Um. Um. I I remember I really liked the one for Thunderbolt, but I can't remember Thunder like anything about Thunderbolt, including the music. Hmm. But I remember I heard it once, and I was like, "Oh, that's quite good." Of the of the older ones, I think uh, like well, of the older ones, I think maybe because um, I I want to give special credit to View to a Kill. Cause I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is good. Uh, it is good. Live, live and let die is probably the the best one. Old Mac is there. Yeah, and then um, and then of the modern ones, I like the world is not enough. Mm-hmm. I, I like Shirley Manson a lot, though. That's probably just it. Very beautiful and such a talent. such a talent. Mm-hmm. Oh, anyway. I think I'm going to go for a view to a kill, though. But anyway, welcome to the the Halloween uh, spin-off Doctors, which starts oh God, with us talking right. about James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's one thing I find scary, it's the racism and misogyny that's found in the James Bond series. <laughs> so that's my idea of horror, okay? Uh. Okay? It's 2016, people. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> right. What we're talking about. Uh, okay. I'm Jim Sterling. I'm joined by Conrad Zimmerman. Hello, Conrad. Hello, Jim. You good? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I should... Do we, should we mention the... Like, because we did big it up last, uh, yeah. last episode. Uh, if we want, yeah, real quick. I, I, I mean, just, I, can't, just... I can't go into any detail on it, so... Um, okay. Just because things are up in the air, but... Uh, if we can make a joke about it. Okay. If you want. Okay. Kickstarter. Yeah. 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 We'll figure it out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Um, we're talking about Silent Hill Revelation this week. Oh. <laughs> oh, Silent Hill Revelation. Um, at the time of us recording... You you have seen the whole film all the way through, right? Well, th- this is unusual because normally I, I I spend a lot of time working on on getting this together, and I watch the movie multiple times. And and this this week I just simply had too much other any anything really would have been more important I think than watching this movie. <laughs> Most things are, yes. Uh, but yeah, so I was only going to be able to watch it once, and uh, so I'm like in the midst of writing the synopsis when we record this, but for scheduling reasons, it worked out to record this early. Yeah, we're, we're recording in two parts because we're recording sort of the intro stuff now at the t- currently the time's 8, 11 a.m. Yeah, um, because morning is when you want to watch all of this shit. Oh, yeah, like 
all of these films we watch, <laughs> like I watch from first thing Thursday morning, and we record on Thursdays. Like I get up at six six a.m. I started my day with with Malcolm McDowell in a mesh tank top. Moral. I mean, oh it's my god. Okay, but... I haven't even gotten quite that far yet. Oh god. Oh, oh you're in for such man. a treat. Um, but yeah, yeah, we. I I watched it this morning. Uh, Conrad's still watching it. Um, we're recording this intro bit, but. And we will get to the plot, and Conrad will have watched it by then, but we've got the Nintendo NX reveal in between. So we're going to record this bit, watch the NX reveal, give Conrad time to finish watching the film. Then we're going to get right back in with Conrad's hot take on Silent Hill Revelation. (laughs) I'm just sort of sweeping through here, and it's not looking promising. It's my favourite... That's a lie. Um, It's... I've got this very special... Um, feeling towards Silent Hill Revelation. I think it's Revelation. Yeah, it is. Not Revelations. I keep calling it Revelations. It's Silent Hill Revelation, or to give it its full title, Silent Hill Revelation 3D. Um, Well, there's only one revelation in it. Just one. That is true. (laughs) That is true. Um, and but several things being thrown toward the camera because it's a it came out at the height of 3D fever, um, which I love. I, I love thinking about this film every time someone tells me virtual reality is the future. Um, yeah, because yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see how like some of the techniques that they attempted could have been done really well in 3D. I'm not watching it in 3D, so no, I've never seen this film in 3D. I've I've. The amount of films I've watched in 3D are Disney's Brave. <laughs> I think that's it. Really? I, never, I went to yeah. I never saw Avatar in 3D. I I've never seen any movie with 3D in the title in 3D. Um, in fact, I make a point to not watch most of them. Uh, Silent Hill Revelation. I think being. Silent Hill Revelation and Saw, the final chapter, which at one point was called Saw 3D, are the only two exceptions I think I've made to that rule. Uh, I have a general rule of if it's something 3D, I'm not going to fucking watch it. Because it, all you're telling me is this film is nothing but gratuitous things thrown at the camera effect. Right, it's, it's, it's leverage on the 3D element at the sacrifice of anything else valuable in the film. Exactly. Yeah, you're yeah. selling me a concept, not a film. And I don't, I, I'm not paying to go watch a concept unless it's Silent Hill Revelation or Saw 3D, the final chapter. I didn't... Um, uh, I, I didn't this, the second wave of 3... This recent wave of 3D, I don't think I watched a single actual movie I had experiences. I, I watched demos and I did things with three, but I don't think I ever watched an entire fucking movie. The last movie I it's, think I saw yeah. in three D was Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare. I, now come on, that wasn't three D. That was in Freddy Vision. It's, yes, they, that's true. They specifically on the posters they specifically called it Freddy Vision because <laughs> that's how Freddy Krueger sees. He sees everything in red and green, just like his sweater. So that is thematic. But that, he can't see his own sweater. He thinks he's naked when he looks in the mirror. <laughs> but there are things about the Silent Hill aesthetic, you know, visually, 
as portrayed in the first film that can be really compelling in 3D, like the, you know, whole peeling away of stuff, and you could have bits of, of the world, like, be much closer to the viewer's eye, and be like, yeah. ooh, it's all coming down around me. If like, I remember correctly, Silent Hill Downpour uh, is available in 3D. Is it? I think I played it at E3 with 3D glasses on, and I gave it, like, one of the most negative previews you'll ever read. Because people, when they do previews, the idea is to always be cautiously optimistic. Because um, games outlets don't like to rock the boat. And games read, like the readers, tend to think you're being unfair to any game released, like that isn't released yet, if you're critical of it. And, and, well, and to, a, to a certain extent, I think that's fair. Because there's a lot of shit that can change over the course of that's development. That's true. You know? That's true. Um, um, I, mean, look, I, I would argue that, you know, I can only I can only judge what's in front of me. Sure. I can't I can't speculate if I'm trying to tell you how this is. Right, well and that's right that's now. the that's the line you, you wind up walking with those sorts of things, is that you don't want to speculate on on what they might accomplish. You know. You you, you can say it, that there's hope, you can say that it's promising. Yeah, but well, I mean that's the interesting thing about Downpour is I gave it that really negative preview, but I'm also one of the most positive reviewers of it. When it finally came out, and I saw that bit in context with the rest of the game, it was an overall great experience. I thought I know it's um, it's not a particularly popular entry in the series. And I think on the last time we did this, uh, I read out the private message I got mm-hmm. on via Destructoid's PM system years later slagging me off for liking it. Um, so, yeah, I, I realise I'm in a minority when I say I like it, but I hated it when I first played it at, at E3 and then came around to liking it. Um, but But there we go. Yeah. That, that's maybe why people are cautiously optimistic in previews. Uh, but yeah, I think that was in 3D, and clearly this film was jumping on the bandwagon. It's not like it had much else uh, to sell, and the content of the film is reflective of that, mm. as is Amazon X-Ray's movie facts. Oh, really? Which are which are mostly about Sean Bean, <laughs> a man who doesn't have a huge role in the film. He's there mostly for the beginning and the ending. It's um, it's interesting. He in the first movie, he didn't feel necessary to any of it, right? Like you could yeah. have cut out all of Sean Bean, and it's it's like he was put in there strictly for the purpose of justifying his existence for the brief time he's in this one. Yeah, yeah, because he looks a bit like James Sunderland. Yeah, from Silent Hill Two, um, which incidentally they seem to try and set up at the end. Um, I mentioned last week that I really want to talk about the ending of Silent Hill Revelation because for as as crummy as the whole film is, and it is, like, I love it, but it is the pit. Uh, the last five or ten minutes, I think, are really, really well done. Like, in, if the rest of the film was as good as those last ten minutes, this would be an amazing Silent Hill movie. And it's not that the ending does much, particularly. It's just very well shot. It's it's subtle enough, and it, it it just it shows enough knowledge and respect for the series that I wish the rest of the film had, because um, the rest of the film absolutely doesn't. But for reference, I have one, two, 
three, four, five, six, seven facts about this film. To if if you're new to the the show, and of course you are, um, I I like to pepper Conrad's synopsis. We, that's the second section we do. He gives us a rundown of the film. I like to pepper his synopsis with little facts, as and when they come up during. Amazon's X-ray mode, which if you watch a film in a browser, X-ray comes up, shows you different facts, uh, all the actors, what music's playing. Just it lets you go inside the movie's guts, uh, and they give you sometimes interesting facts, and sometimes they really put trivial in trivia. <laughs> but I've got seven facts that have nothing to do with Sean Bean. Then I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen facts about Sean Bain. I think I got them all. I think I got them all. And these only include the ones that start Sean Bean colon. <laughs> I didn't include, for example, a bit at the end that said this is one of the few films in which Sean Bean's character doesn't die parentheses, although he did die in a dream in the film. Um, I didn't include that one because it didn't have the convention of Sean Bean colon, which I just found funny. They had that for a lot of actors in this film. Some of the other facts I have are the same way, like Martin Donovan, colon. He disappeared in this film quick. <laughs> Kit Harrington, colon. Um, just the, Amazon was more interested in the actors than the film this time. And spent a lot of time talking about them in other films. Like, facts that would be best saved for those films and probably aren't in those films because <laughs> they've got better things to talk about. So, rather than constantly interrupt you with Sean Bean facts, uh -huh. I figure what I'm going to do is, before we get on with the synopsis, I'm just going to hit you with what I call Hot Beans! Hot Beans! Uh, which is a new section just for this episode, hot, hot for this beans. Halloween special called Hot Beans, <laughs> where I've got hot facts about Sean Bean. All right, that's the hot beans, hot beans, hot beans, hot beans, hot beans, stormtroopers in the house. Um, that's the theme sheet. <laughs> so I'm just going to read these. Now, remember, these start <laughs> basically instantly when the film begins. And the hot bean cavalcade does not stop until, like, Sean Bean's final scene in the last three or so minutes of the film. <laughs> By the time I was writing the very last one, I was laughing my head off. Because Amazon wouldn't shut up about Sean Bean. <laughs> so, I'm going to read these, all of these out. Imagine these peppered throughout the film at random points, sometimes when Sean's not even in a scene. Well, yeah, because there's a bit of a gap. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, yep. He's he's in the movie the first 15 minutes. And then he's in the movie again in the last few, as I'm led to understand having not gotten there quite yet. But None of these facts have anything to do with Silent Hill or Sean Bean in Silent Hill. <laughs> so I'm going to read these right. as almost as written. Some of them I've truncated for time. Some of them I just I couldn't be bothered typing out all that text. Because they go into quite some detail. Okay. Sean Bean, colon. That's how they all start. Sean Bean. And this, this first one comes off as just nasty and snide. The only awards he's ever won are from the Screenwriters Guild and something else. I couldn't remember what it was. And that was for Return of the King, where he appears in archive footage for several seconds. 
Ugh. I thought that one was just snide. Yeah, that's it's, and that's like, the fir- tr- that's how they start. That's, that's how they start. That's the footing this relationship's gonna be on. It go really underselling him, um, and I. <laughs> I truncated that because of time. You know, it did said what the the guilds and the places he won the awards were from. Sure. Um, but it did start with the only awards he's ever won. <laughs> that that that's verbatim. That's how they started with this. Okay, <laughs> this one's gold. Sean Bean. He has retained his Sheffield accent. <laughs> okay. Anything you'd like to add to that one? <laughs> Well, I, okay, I don't, I don't. He's from Sheffield. In case you don't quite get the right, and so he's <laughs> retained. He fact. has retained the accent. He's not lost his accent. Right. So he, he knows yeah. his roots. Is that is that a thing for Brits? I I don't know. I mean, you know, people say to me, I haven't lost mine when they meet me. Although mine has changed through the years I've been here. So I don't know if you'd say I've retained my accent, because I've still got an English accent, clearly. But it has... It's gotten some inflection and stuff due to where I live now. Um, So I don't... Maybe if they'd have said, you know, he's perfectly retained his Sheffield accent, despite living in Mississippi. (laughs) I don't know where he lives. But if he lived in the Deep South and he had, like, just perfectly maintained Sheffield, like, he sounded just like Jarvis fucking Cocker. Like... That would be impressive, but it's it's just... And this was word for word I wrote it out. <laughs> he has retained his Sheffield accent. That was in the middle of some fucking scene. All right. All right. So, okay. On to the next hot bean. Pachoo, pachoo. Hot bean. Sean Bean. He is a devoted follower of the Sheffield United Football Club. <laughs> it's just something you know about Sean Bean now. You know, I, I was... <clears throat> I thought you were going to say father. He's a devoted father. And I was, because that was <laughs> the level of vague I, I am anticipating. I'm conditioned to expect now because of the Sheffield accent. Yeah. All right. So, Sheffield Football <laughs> Club, okay. Sean Bain appeared in Moby's video for We Are All Made of Stars, parentheses 2002. That, that's, that is a Sean Bean I, fact. Honestly, Honestly, like when I was watching Silent Hill Revelation 3D, I did at the back of my mind think, I wonder what music video Sean Bean's been in, if any. We all know Christopher Walken's been in one, but what of Sean Bean? Okay. <clears throat> Sean Bean. His father, Brian, worked in a fabrication, parenthesis, metal shop. Rita worked as a secretary. I'm imagining Rita's his... His mother? mother. Yeah, that... Uh... You know, Amazon's really half-assing it with these Sean Bean facts. Yeah, but they really wanted us to know a lot about him. <laughs> they wanted us to know more about Sean Bean than anything to do with Silent Hill or any other actor. Kit Harrington is in this. The, the fucking Jon Snow from Game of Thrones is in this. But someone wanted us to know everything about Sean Bean, who's not even in Game of Thrones yet. Um, you know, they'll probably find something for him to do eventually. He'll die in something. Um, but they didn't want to put in the effort to make them good facts. Right. That's a weird dichotomy. I'd love to be that person. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. It's probably horrible. Um, Sean Bean. He has a 100% blade tattoo on his left shoulder in honour of his favourite football team, 
also nicknamed the Blades. In films, it's usually made up to resemble a scar or different tattoo. Okay. It's something approaching a fact. That is... I mean, that's... That is, I mean, the Indi- It's trivia. Having a tattoo isn't interesting, but the fact that in films they make it up like a scar or change it. Right, That's a yeah. bit interesting. Yeah, that's good. There you go. <clears throat> Sean Bean. Auditioned for the role of James Bond in The Living Daylights. Would later play Bond's nemesis, Alex Trevelyan, in GoldenEye. That's that's in Silent Hill Revelation 3D. Probably well, now, okay, but here Golden we go. That, that, there you go. That now, now our GoldenEye thing makes sense. There we go, you see? It's all come full come, circle. Come, come like back. a horror film uh-huh. with a twist. Right. Sean Bain was awarded an honorary doctorate degree from the University of Sheffield in 1997. There's a lot of Sheffield. I mean, I realize it's important to his life. Yeah, yeah. You really get a, a Sheffield vibe from these... Uh, <laughs> These facts, these these hot beans. Yeah. Sean Bain made his professional stage debut in Romeo and Juliet as Tybalt at the Watermill Theatre in Newbury in 1983. Tybalt's a good role. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Tybalt's a good role. Fiery, passionate. Sean Bain. I love this one. Sean Bain appeared in... <laughs> <laughs> appeared in the UK adult comic Viz, issue 76, February, March 1996, <laughs> in a spoof photo love story, which basically means they had photographs of Sean Bean and put speech bubbles over them to make them look like those crappy sort of romantic soap opera style comics you get in newspapers. Appeared in UK adult comic Viz in a spoof photo love story called Bean to Paradise. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? Why do I need to know this? Well, I tell you what. I was watching Silent Hill Revelation 3D, the hot film based on the Konami horror franchise. Right, um, sure. And I thought to myself, I wonder if Sean Bean has been parroted in any UK adult comics. Specifically, Viz. And and Lo and behold, Amazon, Amazon to there to provide. There to confirm. They helped me out. Sean <laughs> Bain his fear of flying was cured during the filming of Lord of the Rings <laughs> and I guarantee you that isn't mentioned in Amazon X-Ray thanks for Lord, for Lord of the Rings <laughs> I really hope it's not <laughs> they saved it for this <laughs> hold on to that corker cause that's going in my hot beans okay <clears throat> Sean Bain. This one again is a, is a fact, like close to a fact. Although I was laughing too hard at this point, just to, due to the amount of hot Bains. Sean Bain has a scar over his eye given to him. They don't tell you which eye. Has a scar over his eye given to him by Harrison Ford during the filming of Patriot Games. Ford hit him with a boat hook. In the sh- they, they never stress, or at least I didn't see it stressed it was an accident. It just says he hit him with a boat hook. Okay, and that is a great fact. It's a good fact, and I, I like sw- it. I, I, I swear to God, now I have to read Patriot Games on Amazon because See I have to know. If it's not, that would make this fact the best joke that's ever been written. <laughs> Uh, in the Sharp series, I believe last time we talked about Sean Bean, I mentioned Sharp, yeah. which was a, a period drama 
series on UK TV. Right. Um, in the Sharp series, they use makeup to emphasise the scar to make the character more credible because he's a soldier. Right. So they kind of built up the scar he already had so that you know he's been in a war. <laughs> so that's a good fact. This is going like to be the sharp. longest episode ever. Um, I'm on the last fact. <laughs> After all those great facts, right. you know, ranging from funny to genuinely interesting to just bizarre, they end. This is the last fact the film gives us. Sean Bain! Graduated from the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London. That's it. End of film. Someone is using a power tool nearby. That's more interesting. That's more interesting than that Sean <laughs> Take Bean the fan. microphone over there. Yeah. And, and let that run for as long as this just run and let users vote. Let the audience <laughs> vote on what they found more fascinating. Yeah, it'll be street noises out my window. Yeah. Oh. Can I listen to the drill again? <laughs> Can you stop talking about Sean Bean? Right, that's committed to fucking audio. I can remove that from my document now. Oh, God. We should get on with uh, talking about the film. Yeah. Well, f- first we're going to watch... Well, I'm going to watch the NX reveal. Yeah, and then I'm going to watch the rest of this movie. Watch the rest of the film, write your synopsis. Um, I've, got more, I've got actual facts about the film. Oh, thank but God. Mostly, they're mostly about Kit Harrington. Um, but that's coming up, so we'll look forward to that. Like, Let's talk about Silent Hill Revelation 3D. Right, well, that was the Nintendo Switch revealed anyway. Yep. So, a teenaged Sharon De Silva runs from a group of hooded figures into a carnival. Interesting. After Sharon stares at a group of dead goldfish prizes, a human-sized plush rabbit she's hiding next to turns its head to face her, sending her running to a carousel. This is Robbie the Rabbit, the fans of Silent Hill will recognize from the games. Okay. There's actually there's know. quite a few game references in there's, this. There's a lot subtle. of nods that I'm aware of, yeah, even not being too. super familiar. Yeah, there's um, an Amazon X-ray pointing this out, but I didn't know it as a fact. But there's like a, a scene in a, a school hallway uh, with a poster on one of the walls with a woman with a butterfly over her mouth. Which, I saw that. Yeah, butterflies uh, and moths and that—they're a recurring thing in Silent Hill. So there's mm-hmm. all sorts of little nods like that, which is baffling. Because people who worked on this clearly know what the games are and follow very familiar beats to Silent Hill 3 with this one. And yet, and yet, this is also so far removed from the games. It's, it's an odd dichotomy this game has, but interesting. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Yeah. So she starts running into this carousel. But Pyramid Head's at the center of the carousel and starts putting it into motion with hand cranks. Like, that's got to be super fucking demeaning. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Well, that's not and, even his job. That's, no, that's Valtiel's no. job. In the games, Valtiel is the dude who turns the cranks. But they've just got Pyramid Head doing it. You're well, right. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Konami-style reallocation of a job. Whoever's, like, running Silent Hill Incorporated wants him to quit. They don't want to fire him. So they've given him a demeaning job. Like, this is his version of being a celebrated game designer and then cleaning the bathrooms. Right. Yeah. That's about right. And so as it turns, Sharon is surrounded by hooded figures, and some of the horses turn out to be pale, hairless men bound with leather straps. 
and Alessa, who is now also a teenager, and, and, and if you're like, who are these people? We did a whole fucking episode on the last one. Go listen to that. Yeah, go listen to it. It won't fucking kill you, will it? Uh... She's, uh, Alessa's there, she's now a teenager and appropriately emo, and warns Sharon not to come to Silent Hill. Yeah. Uh, this is all feeling very familiar, just mm. like, a little more grown up, I guess. Yeah, you uh, mentioned her, um, emo look, she actually is very, they, they got her costume quite close to Heather's costume from Silent Hill 3. Yeah. Um, the hairstyle as well, they, uh, they mirrored her remarkably well, actually, for a Are film talk- that... Are you talking about Sharon or Alessa? The the main character. Yeah, Sharon. Yeah, no, they really nailed her for the, uh, yeah. as as uh, by comparison to the character in Silent Hill Three. Yeah, that costume design is right on. Okay, did I get no. something wrong with what? Well, you I was because uh, this intro. There's a lot of moving parts. Alessa's the the one I was referring to as being appropriately gotcha. emo. Yeah. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, yeah, the sort of. Yeah. Oh, with the black hair. And yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. Like, because she's yeah. like the I evil mean, it's the same side actress. of hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so then the carousel gets engulfed in flames, and Sharon burns alive. Uh, but it's all a dream. And it is Sharon, all a dream. Sharon's screaming, and her adoptive father Chris comes in to comfort her. Chris. Fact, 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 fact. That's my new one. All right, People yeah. didn't like the trumpet. Huh. And then when I did Shouting Facts last episode, a lot of people said, bring back the trumpet. Because you uh, can't fucking please the internet. It's so true. So I'm trying something new, which is circus music, fairground, funfair music, but fact instead of music noises. Well, that was like the, that was a, a baseball fanfare. Yeah, okay, yeah, baseball. Sorry, I'm new to your culture. Um... <laughs> I've been to, like, two baseball games in my life, and I was only there for the free hot dogs. Baseball is among the more boring of our (laughs) cultural things. The two I went to, I never looked at the pitch at any time. I was just thinking about them sweet, sweet dogs. Like, guns, rock and roll, baseball. Yeah. And and institutionalized racism. Oh, yeah, but that's like that's exciting. That leads to riots and and things like that eventually. I tell you what, though, that's a slow burn. If if you want to show me a horror movie, don't show me Silent Hill. Show me some racism. (laughs) Okay. You are so woke. All right. Just uh, okay. When Sean Bean as Harry enters the room for yes. this moment where Heather Because he is, is Harry in this. He is Harry, not James Sunderland, even though they've kind of just mushed the characters together. And not, and not Chris, even though I'm going to refer to him as Chris throughout this entire fucking thing. Oh yeah, that's it, because they, they try and explain it by saying that he ch- changes his name to all the yeah, different they, towns. They, they change their name because they're on the run. Yeah, that's it. They're on the run. That, that, that'll come up. But anyway, when Sean Bean, that's his name, when Sean Bean enters the room, the camera accidentally reveals that the set has no ceiling. <laughs> I didn't notice. Yeah, I don't normally put goofs in here because uh, a lot of goofs come up in every film we look at. Sure. And when Amazon gives me one, I normally ignore them because they're not that interesting. But that one did make me laugh. That's... I actually went back and tried to see I couldn't quite see it myself, but Amazon wouldn't lie to me. So No. No. So that's a, a revealing goof, as they call it. they got different names for the different goofs. That's a revealing goof. Ah, highly revealing. 
Yeah. So when I say Sean, when I see Sean Bean's involved in a revealing goof, I want to see his penis, and I didn't see that. So Chris comes into comfort, screaming Sharon, saying it's always like this when they move. And Sharon's unconvinced, says the dreams are calling her, and Chris begs her not to go there, and then is suddenly impaled by a thing with sword hands. Oh yes. This is, this is also a dream. The thing with sword hands. It's a woman with like Cenobite like saw blades in her head. She yes. looks like the CD Cenobite from Hellraiser 3. Um, she is called the Missionary. Uh, that's the official name. Never brought up in the film. Um, but there is an enemy in Silent Hill called Silent Hill 3 called the Missionary that serves mm-hmm. a similar role. Uh, spoilers for Silent Hill 3, by the way. Uh, a missionary kills Heather's father in Silent Hill 3, which is the reason she goes to Silent Hill, because she goes there for revenge, um, which is slightly different from how it happens here. Um, but that is a nod to the game. Uh, the missionary in Silent Hill 3, though, nothing like the missionary in, in the film. No. It doesn't look like a Cenobite. Um, I believe it's... It's either male or has no specific gender in Silent Hill 3, whereas in this it's, it's explicitly a, a feminine monster. Um, but, but there you go. Also, uh, later on in the film, uh, when you go to the asylum and the nurses are there, you see x-rays on the wall, and one of the x-rays is a skull with the saw blades in its head. It's just, ah. a, just a little visual thing there. Interesting. Did not yeah. catch that. So this was also a dream. Yes, and Sharon makes a little note in a dream journal and then flops back down on the bed. Pop-Tart! At breakfast, Sharon and Chris 3D talk about... 3D Pop-Tart! <laughs> pachoo, pachoo, the future is here! <laughs> At breakfast, Sharon and Chris talk about their aliases from moving around the country, which are now Heather and ha- Harry Mason. Uh, Chris has a birthday present. What a present. coincidence. What a coincidence! Why, those are names from the games. Yes. Chris has a birthday present for Sharon. It's the white vest that she was wearing in the first of the two dreams, the white vest from the Silent Hill 3 character design. And she recognizes it, but expresses excitement in it all the same, and they share a tender moment, which is ruined when Chris starts to say the same thing. I spilled coffee on my new Jason Voorhees shirt. (laughs) Fuck me. Oh, it's such a good shirt. That's That's a bummer. There we are, no lasting stains, I, I, I slurped it up. Okay, sorry, carry on. No, no, no problem, no problem. That so, was really uh, scary for me. This carry tender on. moment is ruined when Chris starts to say the exact same shit he said in the second dream shortly before being impaled. Motherfucker. And Sharon decides, hey, it's time to go to school. And Chris does the whole concerned parent with an adoptive child on the run from a mysterious cult warning thing before she heads off. That old chestnut. Well, you know, it's. I mean, it's. My very parents si- gave me the same talk. Well, it's very similar to how you know, um, in some communities, parents have to tell their children how to act around police. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very similar sort of deal. Uh, Chris looks through Sharon's dream journal after she heads off to school and pulls right. out the most recent page, which has Silent Hill written on it. Yeah, I tell you what, it doesn't have written on it. Subtlety. <laughs> Opening a wooden box with a the uh, carved, I guess you'd call it a sigil of the the cult. My tattoo. Yes. That's my tattoo. That is the um, halo of the sun. Officially, they don't call it that in this, but that's that's its name. He he tucks the page in with a whole bunch of other pages with Silent Hill written on them in an envelope, and then he 
puts a family photo on the mantle because you know they're just moving in here. Sorry, it's. I know it's, it's so subtle, right? There's there's nothing inherently funny about this scene, or even remarkably stupid. But there's just this undercurrent of stupidity running throughout this film that I laugh. Every no, time. no, no. You're right. No, what's about to happen is pretty goddamn stupid, because he puts a family photo on the mantle and starts talking to his wife Rose, who is absent. Oh God, this bit made me cringe. And no it has one, a flashback. No one talks like this, by the way. Like even if you're talking to a dead person if you're like visiting their grave or something you don't stand and deliver the kind of monologue he did in that way no and he talks about how you know hard it's been since she's gone blah blah and then you know has this flashback thing to talking to her through a mirror in their old house during which she explains that she's trapped in Silent Hill because she found some incomplete seal which only permitted either her or Sharon to escape. And she warns that they, air quotes, will come looking for Sharon because they need her and that she's Chris's responsibility now. <laughs> I mean, I mean, when it comes to a grift, when it, when it comes to saddling him with the kids so she can go <laughs> off and do whatever... I mean, that's a Points for creativity, one. right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, after Rose vanishes in the mirror, Sharon appears on the couch behind Chris, and Chris is to vaguely explain that her mother is gone, causing Sharon to cry out in grief and drop the large copper and very literal seal she was holding. Yeah. Teenage Sharon is walking down the street and wakes a homeless person, which, like all people of privilege, she briefly sees only as a horrific faceless beast. <laughs> Thank oh, you. Oh, bravo. Bravo. Um, it nearly was, gets if you've hit seen by... the film, that was f what Conrad just said was fucking brilliant. <laughs> and she nearly gets hit by a car in her own, you know, reacting to her, her revulsion. revulsion. yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and another man comes up and startles her, saying that, you know, she shouldn't be hanging out with the vagrants. And the guy seems to recognize her, which gives her the stranger danger vibes that one has from this sort of constant reinforcement that you're on the run from some authority figure. Mm -hmm. And she heads straight to her school bus. Yes. That was Martin Donovan, by the way, playing yes. uh, Douglas, who's a private investigator in Silent Hill 3 as well, with the best voice. I quite like Martin Donovan as an actor. I got a great um, fact about him coming up later. He's been in some really some stuff that I, I just he's had great roles that suit him. He has this just slightly sleazy thing about him. Yeah. Uh, despite being so sort of good looking and honest. It's the voice, I think. I think yeah. that's partly why they must have chosen because first of all, you can't have a person in a film with the voice that Douglas had in Silent Hill 3. If he'd have turned up and said, Hello, I'm trying to find you. you I can't go to Silent Hill now. Like, it, the film wouldn't be taken seriously. Whereas right. right now, obviously, Silent Hill Revelation 3D is taken very seriously by connoisseurs of cinema. Incredibly. Um, so you can't have the voice, but he's got, he's got a, a, like this raspy kind of voice that kids shouldn't trust. Right. And that works very well. At school, Sharon gets introduced as Heather, the new kid, an experience she is clearly bored with through repetition. 
Um, a snotty teen remarks on the low quality of her clothing, which draws some laughter, and then Sharon yes, gives a big speech about how she's done all this before and she's going to do it again. There's no point in anybody getting to know her. Um, and then the next new student, uh, Vincent Cooper, cracks a joke about not being able to follow that performance. Fact, 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 fact! I got a fact tell. about Vince Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, the actor who plays Vince Cooper is Kit Harrington. Uh, familiar to many listeners, I'm sure, as Jon Snow from Game of Thrones. Never uh, seen be, it. Won't be familiar to Conrad. <laughs> um, English guy. He is uh, from the north, like uh, Sean Bean. Sean Bean's Midlands and whatnot. Um, it's all north to me. I was a southerner. Um, so everything above like St Albans is north to me. Uh, but anyway... Well, it's nice to be able to put a name to the face, actually, because I heard the name Jon Snow... A lot, like right, you yeah. Know, yeah. E- even even not knowing or paying any attention to Game of Thrones, even like, though you know nothing of Jon Snow, right? That name, I- I'm sure that that's some very clever reference you just made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, but flew right past me. <laughs> but yeah, you knew it was a bit, even though what I said was not. Well, I know you. That's it. I was like, that's a nice, that's a good, that's a sign of how strong our friendship is. We're like yes. Ash and Pikachu. And that you know what I mean, just but with a few words. It's all just inflection at this point. I didn't even have to, I could just make noises and you'd get it. I'd probably get it. <laughs> so did you have a fact about... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a great fact. This is one of the few facts that are actually about the film. And, and again, it's a bit snide. <laughs> Kit Harrington tried to play the Silent Hill games as research, but he had to quit because they were too scary for him. He said he didn't really need to play him anyway, though, because his character had little relation to the video game counterpart. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. Because Vincent in Silent Hill 3 is completely different. Yeah. And a, not a kid, not at school, not a good guy, nominally. I mean, he... He's kind of anti, not even anti-hero. He's kind of in between one of those you don't know whose side he's on kind of guys. Mm-hmm. Sinister, sleazy, bookish, glasses, smartly like not, not smartly dressed, kind of um, anachronistic in his dress sense. Um, taunts and teases uh, Heather throughout the game. Uh, things like she says she's been going around killing monsters and he looks shocked and says they look like monsters to you and then laughs. And it's like, oh, it's ambiguous. Um, that's not Vincent in this film at no. all. No. He is basically just an idiot. Well, he's the earnest, helpful guy who likes a girl. Yeah, yeah, and has cringeworthy dialogue with her. Um, yeah. I'm sp- speaking specifically about the pickup line scene. Um, but yeah, that, that's a fact anyway. Between classes, the lights flicker and everybody else but Sharon seems to disappear. And uh, Sharon starts moving down the hall and looks into a classroom where children are chanting, Burn the Witch. And another class full of creepy kids is staring back at her through another door. The lights go out completely for a second and then Sharon is in a significantly more metal and rust version of a hallway where a no-armed flesh monster is twitching its way toward her. She recoils in horror and steps backward into Vinny, the other new kid from moments before, uh, and is suddenly back in the school hallway again. Uh, Can you just call him Jon Snow from now on? Can I? Okay, yeah, I can call him Jon Snow. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Jon Snow tries to see if she's okay and follows up trying to score a coffee date, 
Which, you know, dude, timing. And didn't she make it kind of clear she's not interested in, like, really? This is some... Well, he, he's probably thinking, like, she said don't bother to know my name or anything. I won't be here long. He's thinking if she's DTF, like, that's perfect for me. <laughs> Anonymous, no repercussions. He's thinking, he's thinking like, a, like a high school student. Well, Sharon continues to be evasive and heads out of the school. And outside, Sharon sees the creepy guy from the bus stop again and decides to head back into the school. And Vinny also sees the guy, and I don't know why that's significant, but they seem to make a point of it. Uh, Sharon tries to call Chris, and they, uh, meet, they agree to meet at a burger place. And Chris basically lies to her about how he doesn't think anybody knows their secret and gets rewarded for his deception by what we can only assume is some horrible person or thing at the back door of their house. Uh, Sharon waits for Chris at the restaurant, which is a popular children's birthday party joint complete with clowns, and the first question I just have is, how? Oh, God, this is... Oh, God, this is funny. This scene is hilarious. Sharon, like, is just watching all these children and waiting for Chris and nearly has an anxiety attack, but then calms down just in time to see one of the balloons, like, turn around and say, happy birthday, Alessa, on one side. <laughs> and the restaurant patrons suddenly seem to be eating exceptionally undercooked meat, very messily. A lot of blood. And Ikor's dripping down everyone's chins. A lot of clowns. And Sharon blood. sees bus stop dude again, who calls out to her. And she fact falls. For fact, for fact. Uh-huh. <laughs> Martin Donovan, colon, is an accomplished stage actor. <laughs> Thank you, Amazon. Thanks, Amazon. Oh, sorry. It's that, that fact's just... Works so well with this scene as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's a spe- I think someone put it in as an insult because here think- we are watching clown children eat blood, and here's this accomplished stage actor having to be part of it. I think I think that you know those facts. I think sometimes they want to try to be unexpected. It's like, oh, you wouldn't have guessed this. <laughs> this film has real actors in it. Who'd have thought? It, it has some real bad actors in it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, um, so Sharon Bolts nearly running into a clown, and then a cop who tries to get help from a cop that has a stitched-up face, providing no assistance whatsoever. None at all. As she moves into a kit, the kitchen of the restaurant and sees people hanging by their feet while a butcher carves meat off of one dude that's still alive with a mm-hmm. plastic bag taped over his head. Just looks at her and smiles as he does it, and this is where I first was thinking, like, this is just like a, a, a Halloween haunted house. Like, a little bit. Like, you would go to. A little bit. And people would dress up and try and scare you. It feels on rails, right? It's, yeah, like, she's going from one scare to the next, and all they're doing is scaring her. Like, they I, have no other objective than to creep her out. And the, you know, the guy in the background is, like, the, the chef with the fry pad is just sort of, like... Kind of casually, like there's no big, no big deal. Yeah, humming to himself, humming a little tune as he grills up that fresh human meat. <laughs> oh, by the way, almost forgot. For fact, for fact, this is a good one. You'll like this. Uh huh. <laughs> Roman Lebeau pronounces his surname Foucault. Roman Foucault. Or car, I guess. F-O-O-K-O-H. Foucault. Foucault. 
But it's spelled L-E-B-E-A-U. Huh. So Roman Lebeau, or Roman Lecar, pronounce it, although it says pronounces his surname Foucar. So they've added the <laughs> F and the K, which makes me think that even though it's spelled L-E-B-E-A-U, he's still pronouncing it Foucar. That's what, I, so, that's, that's what yeah, I'm thinking, yes. People read it and say, oh, hi, um, you are Roman Lebeau. And he goes, mm-mm-mm-mm. Foucar. Foucar. Enunciate, please. Like, I, I don't know how that works. Also, you may be wondering who Roman Lebeau slash Roman Foucault is and why he's coming up here as a fact. He plays the breakout Silent Hill 3 Revelation 3D character of... Businessman. What? Where? Businessman. Where? I, I tried to work it out. And the headshot that Amazon provides is of a fairly... I mean, he looks about as fat as me. And there was, in the mall scene, of people eating blood. Oh, he's the, the one with the close-up. A, a, a heavy-set businessman turns around and just looks at her, and he's on screen for, like, three seconds, if that. He gets a fact <laughs> about his fucking weird name. That he oh probably pretends is pronounced Foucault just to be different. <laughs> that is amazing. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's the so, quality of fact we're dealing with. So Sharon runs deeper to the bowels of the, the building, which I, I guess is the restaurant still. Uh, while she's trying to call Chris, uh, doesn't get an answer. And bus stop dude catches up and corners her at an elevator, introducing himself as a private investigator named Douglas Cartland. Now, he's been tracking Sharon and Chris for a while, ever since Chris killed someone in self-defense in Portland. So that explains why they're on the run, I guess. I mean, apart from the crazy fucking cult that's hunting her down, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, but Douglas has learned that his employer is said crazy-ass cult, and so he's decided to warn Sharon that they're coming. Now, he didn't, I guess, find out about this and make this determination until after he told them where she was? Apparently. I, mean, I, I can only guess he said, right, she's over there. And then immediately uh, uh, the main antagonist is like, brilliant, now we're going to go over there and do some fucked up cult shit. And he's like, what? And then she's like, what? <laughs> yeah, I can, see, I can see that's probably how it went down. And then they let him live. Lawyer yeah. Out. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm just going to go and warn them then. And she's like, what? And he's like, what? <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> he then decides that this is also a good time to tell her that everything her adoptive father has said about the car accident which killed her mother was a lie, <laughs> and that she had actually been trapped in Silent Hill, which is where said cult wants her to be. Your life's in danger. Also, your dad's a liar. And Dougie tells Sharon to confront Chris with this, and then gets his sausage fingers cut off in 3D by a monster what dropped into the room behind him. <laughs> Dougie falls into the elevator, <laughs> and Sharon hits the button to make it descend. I love this film! As Sharon tries to coax more info out of Doug, but the monster <laughs> leaps onto the elevator and tears shit up for a bit as a distraction. And by the time the elevator is stopped, so is the monster, which has disappeared. And Doug and Sharon exit the elevator, but then Doug gets grabbed by the monster and disappears too. It, 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 this is going to be 
watch for the thread here. Because <laughs> there's a running thread through this movie that, that if you're paying careful attention, yeah, you very may much, pick up on. Very much like the video game series. Um, yeah, yeah. Revelation 3D is interwoven with many nuanced themes. <laughs> well, a theme. <laughs> uh, Sharon... Runs down another hallway with lights going out behind her as she runs and takes refuge in a janitorial closet. Observing that her outer jacket is covered in Dougie's blood, she pulls it off crying and resumes the Silent Hill 3 protagonist costume in full. Um, the door opens and she thinks it's a monster, but it's just a janitor, typical privilege again, and she mm -hmm. runs out in terror anyway. Heading back upstairs and out of maintenance door to find police and a crowd of people. And she's ushered off as a covered body is moved out on a gurney. The cops check the body's wallet and identify it as the Dugster. Now, this all happens really quick. Oh, yeah. Like, this is fast. To the point where, even though I've seen this movie more than once now, I'd forgotten what had happened to Douglas. I was yeah. just like, oh, he disappeared. Well, but, the, yeah, they find the body, and, and and in theory, like, they establish later, we will see later that there is this thread in place surrounding, like, the police chasing down Sharon in relationship to this crime of Doug being killed. But it's so not important no. to the plot of this movie. Like, like, when you say not important... Not at fucking all. Right. Yeah. We in we're introduced to like a whole detective character who he thinks gonna you know serve a similar role to the detective character in the last. No. No. Nah. No. No. So just be prepared for that to completely be disregarded and unimportant. Um, now the cops do also bring out Sharon's bloody jacket. Uh, setting up this investigation. It conveniently has a photo of her and a piece of paper with both her real name, Sharon DeSilver, and her alias, Heather Mason, one on top of the other. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it, they did a great job of, of hiding her from the world. And the cop, well, the cops seem to think that this is a person that they would like to speak to in relationship to this incident. Uh, uh, Vinny sneaks up on Sharon, who's been observing from the back of the crowd that's assembled, you know, gawking the police action, and he remarks that, hey, a dead guy was found in there, do you know that? <laughs> and he follows her as she leaves the seed and tries to call Chris again. And observing that she's cold, Vinny gives Sharon her coat, and Sharon hallucinates a group of people staring at them. Uh, on a bus, Vinny tries to strike up casual conversation, but Sharon gets all philosophical about the difference between dreams and reality. And they Plus, find... it's really hard to get your Mac on in this situation when the best character in movies is on the bus as well. That's true. I do. I, I, I did note when I was talking about this with Jim that I kind of glossed over this guy on the bus knowing full well that Jim would not let me ignore him. <laughs> Mumbling stranger. What's his, <laughs> is that his name? Uh, we did look it up. We did look now, him up because the actor who plays him has the best glamour shot on IMDb. It, Basically, this dude is in Silent Hill 3. He's just an old man on the bus who is like, I'll call it what it is, a parody of those with mental health issues. The, the He's just there to be mad and giggle. He is vagrant mumbler. That's it, vagrant mumbler. Yeah, hey, by Peter well. Schiller? Schiller? 
uh, you know, they, he, he, it would be nice if he told me how to pronounce his name. Yeah, let me look that up. Peter it's S-C-H-O-E-L-I-E-R. Yeah, I'll say that again. S-H-S-C-H-O-E-L-I-E-R. Chelier? Chelier? You'd be the judge. Peter Chelier. Peter Peter Foucault is an actor. This is his IMDb biography, the whole thing. I'll read the entire thing out for you. Peter Foucault is an actor known for Silent Hill Revelation 3D 2012, The Love Guru 2008, and The Snow Queen 2005. That's it. That's his bio. That is the entirety Um, of the bio. Do look him up on IMDb. He's got three pictures, two of them from the same photo shoot, and one of them, the main one he uses, is just majestic. It's him with a beard and a hat and like a... A sweater that's supposed to look old and beat up, but it's clearly supposed to look old and beat up, uh, with some jeans and just amazing chains around his neck with symbols and shit. Like he looks like he looks like if George Carlin had joined like Mumford and Sons or a kind of act like that. It's incredible. And then you look at the second photo of him, and there's never been a better expectation versus reality <laughs> moment ever. <laughs> Um, but that's him, and I, he... It's also worth noting, like, in his other credits, right? He has 13 acting credits. Most of them are some variation of old man or homeless. Yes, three of the 13 contain the word old. Two of them contain homeless. Uh, actually, that's three of them contain homeless. Oh, okay, and four if you want to count the two episodes that he appeared in of The Gathering. I'm going to read out, at least just from the front page, just the scrolling. I won't go through the full filmography, but I'm going to read the, the, the main ones, all of his characters he's ever played. Yeah. According to this, from 2005 to 2012. Old Man, 2005. Old Man, 2007. Gordon, 2007. Got a, a name. Name, named one. Homeless something, 2007. I'm going to guess man. It was man, you are correct. Yeah, I'll just read what I... Homeless, 2007. Uncle Jack, 2008. Uh Twin number one, 2009. Who the hell played twin number two? (laughs) Yeah, well, there must have been fraternal. Is there like like Barry Cholier or something? I don't know. uh, Warehouse 13, we got Aged Perry, 2010. Which I probably saw him in that. Yeah, probably. Doug, 2012. Vagrant Mumbler in 2012. Hooray! It doesn't just go up to 2012. There's loads. Um, A Carpenter, Carpenter 2013. Stondak, 2014. Old Monk, 2015. Homeless, 2016. Comes right back around, a homeless man, for the 12 Monkeys TV series. Yes. Yeah. I think I overcounted. I overcounted the roles because IMDb is showing some of these films twice. Because they isolate its No Queen, Love Guru, and Silent Hill, Revelation 3D, um, as his notable roles. And but then did in, the rest. in Silent Hill, on this bus, yes. he is basically the stereotype crazy mumbly guy on bus. Like, if you wanted to create one of those to put into a thing to be mildly disconcerting and discomforting to people and poorly reflect upon a, a very real problem we have with 
uh, uh, people in society who need desperate help. Yeah, he's got nothing to do with Silent Hill, by the way, but they did think if we put him there, it'll make the film creepier. Here's, here's an old homeless man with, with mental problems. Let's, let's look at him for a minute. Yes. And I so mean, we do. It's a funny performance. He's, he's, no, he, he puts energy into it. I'll give him that. Yeah. I question the wisdom of having done it at all. Yeah. But, but if it had to be done. If it had to be done. I'm it, glad this guy, I'm glad he, did it. Yes, exactly. I, in fact, I think, I think when he was presented with the role, I like to imagine that he said, you know what? This is in poor taste. <laughs> this is dangerous and insensitive. This is, this is not the Cholier way. But they're going to make this movie. Mm-hmm. And someone is going to play this character. It'll, it'll happen whether I agree or not. And so I can at least bring dignity <laughs> and dedication to the role in my performance. Because that, that is the Chelier way. Yep. So Sharon gets all philosophical about the difference between dreams and reality in her conversation with Vinny. Oh, fuck, that's where we were, wasn't it? Yeah. And they find common ground about not being interested in Facebook. Well then, done. You, well Vinny, done. You, you beat the system. <laughs> Vinny then relates the story of his grandfather, who believes that dreams are just endless realities piled on top of each other and went insane. Sharon spots the boss's requisite crazy guy pulling a plush rabbit out of a box just like the one from her dream, and they decide to get off the bus. So they do. And Vince tries to flirt with I guess some success. Like the pickup lines are terrible, but that works in how uncharming it is. Like how bad he is at flirting is endearing to her on some yeah. level. That that never works, by the way. Just in case you're wondering. <laughs> this is a fantasy. Don't try this. Does not work. Uh she blows him off anyway, and returns home to find the message, come to Silent Hill, painted on a wall with the cult symbol in, uh, you know, what might be blood. Certainly seems blood-like. After, you know, sort of doing a house check to make sure her dad's not home, she comes back to the front door and sees the handle wiggling. But it's just Vinny, who had heard her screaming, and came to help. And she lets him in, and shows him the graffiti, tells him that her father told her never to go there, but points out that she's seen the symbol somewhere before. And so she goes and finds the box that Chris had had, and there's a note addressed to her on top. And rather than reading this, she goes through all the rest of the stuff in the box, eventually finding the half of the seal she brought back and a gun. And there's a knock at the door, and they announce themselves as police, looking for Miss Mason. And Sharon asks Vinny to help her escape so that she can find out the truth. The two detectives from the mall break down the door, and find the house overturned like there's been a robbery, and the graffiti, calling it probable cause, and I'd do it air quotes there too, and Sharon's a murder suspect. Okay, first of all, that's not how probable cause works. No. Like, this, the fact that upon entering the domicile, they discovered 
signs of a struggle and blood painted on the wall does not justify their entrance into the domicile. No. No. All of this evidence they just found was obtained illegally. It is fruit of the poison tree. (laughs) They had no justification to enter Mm -hmm. the home. But never mind that. They decide that they are going to hunt down Sharon. On the road, Sharon finally gets around to reading that note. And it's one of those, if you're reading this, I'm gone things from Chris. And again, comes the suggestion not to go to Silent Hill. And an explanation that they have not, in fact, been running from the police for the last several years, but a secret order intent on bringing Sharon back to Silent Hill by any means possible. Chris suggests his notebooks as a handy source of additional reference material and apologizes for having lied to her repeatedly for much of their time together. The note ends, and this is, this is something that, like, the, the note is delivered in Chris's voice throughout voiceover, but there's a part of the written note that they skip over in the voiceover, and this is literally how the, the, the note actually ends as she is reading it. The truth is hard to accept, but Silent Hill is an evil and cruel place. I swear to fucking God. You gotta... You gotta pause and read it. You gotta let the audience know what Silent Hill is at this point. (laughs) They thought better of including it as dialogue. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, who thought it was a good idea to write it in the first place? From Chris's notebooks, Sharon and Vinny learn that Silent Hill was founded as a prison colony built on a burial site stolen from Native Americans. We call that a hat trick of suffering, folks. And has been run for the last hundred years by a cult that has been waiting for a child to be born that could serve as a vessel for their god to remake the world. (sighs) A newspaper clipping establishes that a fire in a coal mine drove everyone out of the town, but Chris's notes suggest that the town has been cursed by Alessa because the cult tried to cleanse her with fire. Vinny decides that they need to get some rest and pulls into a motel. In the room, he tries to persuade Sharon not to follow through on her plan of disregarding the advice of every person in her life, including the horrifying emo version of her that lives in her nightmares, by going to Silent Hill. Sharon has another dream about Alessa and wakes up to find Vinny sitting on the other bed, fiddling with the seal. He says they can't go further, and when she protests, he reveals that he's a child of the Order, and was sent to make sure Sharon returned, proving it by showing the badass scar he got in the ritual which allowed him to leave Silent Hill in the I, first place. I looked at that and I was like, it's better than my tattoo of it. Yeah, right? Like, that's a commitment. Like, what a one-up me, kit. He explains that he was raised to believe that Alessa was the evil keeping his family trapped in Silent Hill, and Sharon, by virtue of being part of Alessa, must therefore have been evil also. But having spent the better part of an afternoon with her, he now knows that she's completely innocent. He then vomits a tremendous... He just wants to get in it. He really does. He then vomits a tremendous amount of plot explanation that Harry was taken because Sharon has to enter Silent Hill of her own free will, that the hallucination Sharon sees are members of the cult projecting their spirits to spy on them. The ultimate goal of the cult is to kill Alessa, who is invulnerable so long as she and Sharon remain separated, and Harry is still alive for the moment and being held in the sanctuary beneath the town. Yeah, the the film needed maybe 20% of that exposition he gave us. So much of it is just inconsequential to the actual story they gave us. And yet... And yet. Like, why did it have to be so concentrated right in there? Yeah, yeah. Like, spread it out a bit. 
Because they've got a lot of things to throw at the camera. And yes, they do. Yes, like, they let's do. not let's get the plot out the way so we can throw shit at the camera and just do creepy <laughs> Halloween haunted house spooks for the rest of the film. Sharon tries to run off, but the lights flicker, and Vinny still has more plot to deliver. <laughs> <laughs> this he- Jon Snow knows everything. Oh God, that's right. He's Jon Snow. I'm sorry. I I, sh- fine. I, just, I committed I, I to, to it. My gag. He gives her the incomplete seal. And tells her she'll have to get the other half from his crazy grandpa Leonard. <laughs> then the lights go out, and the hotel room gets all rusty. Jon Snow observes that this is probably has something to do with Sharon. Oh god, I forgot about Leonard for a moment. Then a monster grabs Jon Snow and knocks Sharon out. Yeah. Just as the last of the rust is going away, Sharon comes too. She puts on her vest, grabs the seal, checks her gun, and ventures outside to the Ash World heading down a road past the Welcome to Silent Hill sign. She moves through empty streets while people who are presumably cult members stare at her through windows. She follows the sound of a bell to a church, walking past burned-out pyres with corpses tied to them. Dahlia, Alessa's mother, comes out from behind one of these, telling Sharon, Hey, you shouldn't be here. We know. We know she's not supposed to be here. Yeah, like, everyone's already told her that. Like, even people, like... Like, literally everybody she's exchanged dialogue with has at some point told her not to go to Silent Hill. Yeah, I mean, I'll give them some credit insofar as, up until now, all of the men in her life have lied to her or had it out for her. So maybe coming from a woman, she'd actually listen. Like, that's the only logic I can think of. It's like, well, shit, no one's... Like, Dahlia, go out there and have a fucking word. (laughs) I have a fucking word with her. Dahlia explains that Alessa didn't die when she was burned. Oh, by the way, there's a whole bunch more plot coming at you. Oh, yeah, loads more. Alessa didn't die when she was burned and got angry, which grew her powers and caused the whole damning of the town thing. And for some reason, Alessa also put the last innocent part of her soul into a child to be raised by a loving family, which Dahlia explains is Sharon, who serves as a balance to Alessa's hate. Okay. Honestly, it... It makes much more sense in the games. And I the games it, are fucking weird. I think it made more sense in the first movie, but I can't remember how they explained it. This is terrible. They did a, like a big info dump like in the first one as well. Yeah, yeah, they did. Right there at the end. I but remember. this one's just all over the place. Yes. Uh, so, Sharon's presence in Silent Hill, it's explained, provides the cult with an opportunity to kill Alessa and free themselves. Now, the raid sirens begin to sound, and the world starts changing. Dahlia tells Sharon to run inside, and she flees into a building. Moving slowly down the hall, there are creaky noises and groans all around, plus a birthday cake on an incongruously clean tablecloth. And at the sound of giggling children, she turns around in horror and hides into what turns out to be a storage room for mannequins? Oh, ho, 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 ho. Oh, God, I was already, when I first saw this in the movie theater, I was in already enjoying myself. Not for the right reasons. No! But this scene was just the perfect mix of, I can see how this could be creepy, and, oh, God, their version of it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> like, I can see how you would get from Silent Hill to that thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I can see... How a f- 
filmmaker could think this is going to be really cool and produce that. Like the chain of events is all very logical. And yet you'd think someone would have stopped somewhere along the way. It's a fuck. Right. Yeah. Yep. But anyway, uh, and, and you know what? Maybe someone did, <laughs> but it was too late. Yeah. They, they were committed. I don't know. But, um, it's, uh, yeah. So it's this mannequin storage room. And after what seems like an eternity of wandering through but this just wandering for it, fucking and, shit to happen. And again, more haunted Halloween house stuff happens. You know, there's a woman lying on a table, naked, her breast exposed for our pleasure. Right, but no, I, mean, I, I haven't even gotten help. there yet. Like, literally, there is like 60 seconds of her just wandering through this and nothing happening. That's because, like, the, the filmmakers had heard about suspense in other films. Like, and thinks that just means don't let things happen for ages. A lot of indie horror games do this. Literally 30 seconds of wandering around and a little bit of creepy noise. She finds one of these things that has plastic wrapping around it still. And it starts to move as if it were breathing within that. Oh, and yeah, turns yeah. its head. And that scares her. Ooh, spooky, right? Yeah. Then we get the nude woman laying on the table with her breasts exposed for our pleasure. And asks Sharon for help, and then she becomes a mannequin right before Sharon's eyes, complete yeah, with yeah. like all this a plastic heart. kind of bubbles over her like skin. Starts at the feet, works its way up, and then she's got this like horrifying baby face. Mm. And and a, another woman wrapped in plastic calls out to Sharon, who who releases her, as she's screaming about the spider-like creature made up of mannequin parts that's waking up elsewhere in the room. Now, this monster, like. It's, the, Kevin Smith, the very, like, Kevin Smith now, you know, probably better known as that asshole who smokes a lot of weed and does pub public speaking engagements than a proper fucking film director. Uh, the very first one of those that he did that sort of set him off on this podcasting lifestyle that he leads, he talks about um, writing the Superman script and uh, the producer wanting a giant spider. And it eventually result. Eventually, that producer goes on to produce Wild Wild West, and gets his giant spider, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. I feel like this is that story. In Silent Hill, it's like I want a spider. It's like, well, I guess we can make a spider work. Like, a spider doesn't really. It's not quite right for Silent Hill. It doesn't feel. Yeah, I mean, there there have been like bug monsters and stuff but typically of the cockroach variety like insects and things they've been like mosquito like things i'm trying to think if there's ever been a, an explicit spider and but i mean and even still like a a a humanoidy spider thing like the humanoidy things are all kind of wretched and you know there's no you know certainly precedent yeah. for multiple limbs or missing limbs or, or whatever but spiders seem too on the nose yeah, right? I mean, like, they've even had mannequin enemies. Like, it, sure. it was a, an enemy in Silent Hill 2. It was, a, like, a, a headless mannequin. Although, where the ones in the game had no heads, this one makes up for that. Right. This one has lots of heads. Yeah, because I'm going to describe it for you, actually. Please I'm do. Looking at a, I'm looking at a render of it now. Um, this is, like, the original render, so it's not fully detailed. But that's good, because it gives us a good look at it. It's not that detailed anyway. Not really. It's got There's four heads. a lot heads. of smooth surface on this. Mm-hmm. Four heads. Uh, three of them 
fairly, fairly blank. Um, actually, no, I think the final thing only has three heads. Sorry. Um, well, no, it, it, pick, it picks oh, one no, up. Oh, no, it's got four. Yeah, that's it. It's picking one up. I'm looking at the various gifts, and <laughs> it's so fucking funny. Um, so it's got four heads. Uh, one of them is split in half, but it's being held together. Uh, one of them looks fairly normal. One of them has like almost like a like a like a Glasgow grin cut into the side of its mouth in this kind of horrified, sad grimace. And the other one is another one. I might be missing a bit of it, like, like the bottom half of it or something. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. It's a blurry image. Um, then it's just lumps. Yeah. It's just lumps of plastic and red that I think the red's like sinew and meaty stuff. And sprawling from the big lump is like six, one, two, three, four, five, yeah, but like six legs and then just like arms coming out the top of the lumps and behind the lump and under the lump. So it's just this rolling, roiling mass of legs and heads and arms. And 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 it's kind of out of place CG. Yeah, not good CGI at all. That's, it's like that's a cartoon. It's really it's like the problem because everything in the you know in the physical environment that they're putting this CG character into, I mean maybe it's not all physical. Maybe a lot of that's rendered too. But it looks but actually, great. Actually, actually, I, I might as well do it now. For, for, for fact, for fact, um, the mannequin is the only monster in the film uh, that's entirely in CGI. CG. Yeah, the, it shows. The rest of it is um, mostly stunt actors in makeup. Yeah, it, uh, it really yeah. shows a lot. And the C- they use CGI for the other ones as enhancements. Like sure. they'll use some CGI to like add on to the costumes and the makeup and everything. Yeah. Whereas this one was full CGI. And you're right, it abs. It's like the fucking clone troopers in Attack of the Clones. Like the needless CGI there. It's obvious, and it's almost a shame because the monster is almost good. The way it moves, like there's a great GIF I'm looking at now of where it kind of scuttles and uses two of its heads to look under a gurney. Yeah. And and it's got these really like creepy if it was if this was in a video game, it would make a really effective like boss monster. Like if you're trying to hide from it and stuff and there's some stealth gameplay. In this film though, it's just funny. The facial expressions, the head pulls and the just the over like the the over design of it as well. Like it's so over designed. This might sound stupid, but I kind of wish it was a crab. Actually, you know what? It, even though it's designed like a spider, it does kind of move more like a it crab. It moves more like a crab. And like if it were a crab, like th- that arm thing that, with the heads on the end that it does, that'd be mm. creepy as shit, you know, as, as a more of a claw type deal, like you know, wrap around corners and shit. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> like there is, that's the problem. Like if, it would have not have taken many changes to have made this good. Right. Like the scene where the, the, the girl that gets turned into a mannequin, like, I'm, again, I'm looking at a gif. It climbs up on the gurney where that mannequin is and thrusts one of its heads, which it's holding with. It, all the heads are held with hands. I love that. Yep, that looks and great. It, and it kind of, like... It's a cool idea. ...moves the hands down to just stare this mannequin, the lifeless one on the thing, in the eyes... And two of its hands actually grab the exposed breasts and kind of, like, feel it up. And, and oh, I can just see on, like, another arm is, like, rub, rubbing up and down on its thigh as well. 
Like it's really that's genuinely good. Like like creepy and and weird and and weirdly sexual and appropriate. And yeah. Um. I mean, appropriate and it's inappropriate in the no. context. Yeah. yeah. But it's also just such a stupid. There's just something off about it that stops it. It takes creepy. it so far out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and it, it's just funny. Like, the eyes are really bad. Like, it's got cartoon eyes. Um, so what should have been an incredible monster was just fucking funny. It gives chase to the uh, two gals, uh, stopping briefly to take the head off of the newly created mannequin to use as another thing to scream with. Uh, and as the ladies hide, Sharon asks where this unnamed woman came from, which was uh, apparently a simple wrong turn. Um, they move to an exit door, but are unable to open it, instead opting to move behind a shelf toward a vent. The spider thing knocks the shelf over onto them and tries to attack them with its super 3D mouth-in-mouth action! Oh god, yeah, that as well, like, I'm already laughing at it, and I'm already also a bit lamenting that it's, it should have been a great monster. Then the split head that it's holding together, it opens it up, and there's a big fleshy mouth in it, like a flowery mouth. That's funny. Uh, but then a xenomorph little mouth comes out of that mouth. Why do these fucking things love the flowery mouth monster? I don't know. I don't, I don't get know. it. Like, is that, is it like, they all seem to... It's, it, they, they always it's seem in Stranger to, Things as well. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think... I, I blame Alien. Yeah, because they did have that kind of budding... With the flowery. budding eggs. Like, it's like they're combining the two things that people would associate most heavily with alien, the mouth in mouth and the opening blossom of the, the egg. Yeah. So over it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Done. Done. Unless it's like a proper fucking plant monster. You won't make a plant monster, make a plant monster. Yeah. Commit. God damn it. So, uh, the, uh, spider thing knocks the shelf over onto them, tries to attack him with the mouth. Sharon opens the vent and the ladies climb in, but her new friend is immediately pulled out and dragged away. I sense a trend. In the sanctuary, Claudia, the, now, the new leader of the cult, because Christabella, who was the leader of the cult in the previous film, who's her sister, I think she says? Eh, she was fucking something. Uh, you know, it, it failed. And, and Claudia uh, chides... Jon Snow for his failure to follow the cult's wishes in bringing Sharon back. Fact for fact. Hmm? Kit Harrington, colon, sees himself first and foremost as a theatre-trained actor. It's a great seed for that. Yeah. Yep. It's very yep. good. I forget exactly where this... It was one of his scenes, but basically every, every scene from here on out is not appropriate for that fact. No, no. But this, this one right here, especially uh, performing opposite... The incredibly talented <clears throat> Carrie Ann Moss. <laughs> Fucking hell. Can this woman be any stiffer? She, you know, the funny thing? She was kind of method acting this one. Was she? It was. A, it's another one I didn't bother writing as a fact, but since you brought up her performance, it, it bears thinking about. Before they started filming, Carrie Ann Moss and um, the actor who's playing... Um, uh, Heather, Sharon, whatever. Um, got on fairly well. Congenial, polite. They, they talked well and everything. But as soon as filming had begun, she stopped talking to her. Um, wouldn't go near her, wouldn't talk to her, wouldn't do anything. So that 
in the scene where they finally meet, uh, apparently the the actress playing Heather said she put her hand on her chin and it freaked her out. So she went to for a performance that is so wooden. <laughs> she was psychologically into the character. She went to considerable length, or at least some length, because who knows how we, hard it was to avoid encountering. Yeah. Any length an actor goes into for this film is considerable. Fair enough. Yeah. You got Kit Harrington seeing himself as a theatre trained actor, wondering what the fuck he's doing in this. Mm. So, uh, Vin- uh, Jon Snow protests that Sharon is innocent and that the cult got what they deserved. And Claudia calls him insane and has him taken to the asylum. Conveniently, Sharon's vent exits the building she's in right outside the asylum. And she saunters in, moving through hallways and into an office where she finds a flashlight. And looks through some files and finds Jon Snow's grandpappy's room and takes a corresponding key. It's all very businesslike. Proceeding through the hall, she finds a map on the wall to guide her. Ta-da! Uh, eventually she comes across a dude without much scalp and bad dental work who pins her down until she draws a gun and shoots him through the face. And she heads up a floor and finds the room Le- uh, Leonard should be in. And he is. And it's a blind <laughs> Malcolm McDowell in netting. <laughs> Put on your mesh tank top! Holy crap! Thank you, so- Malcolm McDowell, for your, willing- your willingness to do Fucking anything. He does not give a fuck. And always, always, again, unlike fucking Kingsley, he always turns in a top-tier performance. This is like... He always... He always puts energy in it. He's Him and Billy Zane, they are yep. the best at this shit. You get them two together in a shit film, and, and that may be my... The, the only film I ever need. Oh. Um, but yeah, Mal- to describe it, you got Malcolm McDowell, as old as he is, with like white stringy hair and fake cataracts and net and, and a net. He's it wearing a net. A, an old net for a top. Like you can see his like old hairy chest and everything through it. <laughs> like wiry poking through the holes in the netting. Like it's this weird. It's like someone tried to make a, a, a tank top out of stuff they found by an old abandoned pier. And it's him overacting, as he does, like hamming it up, looking with awful lighting in the scene that's constantly fading to black and back again in a way that I think they tried to make look creepy, but it's just distracting. It's an incredible scene. He it's is. It's incredible. He's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah, like I didn't know he was in it um, when I went to see it at the movie theater. Mm-hmm. The moment he turned up, like I was, I'd already been laughing. I'd laughed at the vagrant mumbler. I'd laughed at the stupid blood eating party. I'd laughed at the mannequin spider. The moment he came on, I, I, I think I practically cheered. So Sharon learns from Leonard that Jon Snow is here in the asylum, and that Lenny's got this whole multiverse theory that he's been working on. Yeah. By the way, I didn't even bother writing down any Amazon facts to do with Malcolm McDowell because obviously the moment he appeared on screen, Amazon X-ray went to town. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so fantastic. So um, she gives him half of the seal to identify it. And he does. 
readily as having been stolen from him to allow Sharon to escape Silent Hill and, and necessary for the summoning of the cult's god. And she asks where the other half is, and Lenny says, it's inside me, and shoves it into his chest cavity. And his eyes go even whiter very briefly before his cataracts vanish. And he sees Sharon, realizes who she is, which, by the way, isn't this fucking what happened in the last movie? Something like that. Like, isn't this exactly what happened in the last movie? Sharon encounters someone who can't identify, or not Sharon, but Rose encounters someone who can't clearly identify who she is, gets information, then gets attacked by them when they find out who she is. Good plot device. I'm, I'm thinking this is, am I watching the same fucking movie? Again? A little bit. A little bit, you think? Funnier, though. It is funnier. Uh, so he realizes who she is tries to choke her. Uh, she shoots him in the chest, and he flies back, only to transform into Monster Rick from Splatterhouse, break his chains, and throw her over his shoulder. And as he's yeah. carrying her off... All she... of this is based on an, uh, a boss fight in Silent Hill 3. Is it? I yeah, I none of this happens enough. in it. Yeah. None of this happens. You, Leonard is a, an actual character in Silent Hill 3, and you go into a room where he's supposed to be, and it's nothing but water in the room, like knee-deep water, and you hear him talk to her, and he gives her some exposition and gives her some aid, and then bursts out the water already as a monster. Mm, and it's this okay. really sort of good bit of ambiguity and, and feeds into that idea of, are the monsters humans? Uh is Silent Hill just making people see them as monsters? Like, why is this one talking? Like, a lot of mystery, a lot of ambiguity. Trade it in for Malcolm McDowell in a net tank top. That's... You know what? Under the circumstances, I'll take that deal, sir. I will they take did that the best, deal. Yeah. yeah, it was the best move. <laughs> so as he's carrying her off, uh, Sherrod observes that the, uh, the seal of Metatron inside his open chest cavity reaches aside, pulls it out like a battery. He drops her and disintegrates. Yeah, and that's the end of Michael McDowell. Didn't need to be in the... Like, this scene, none of this needed to happen. <laughs> After pausing to talk aloud to Alessa about how she has the completed seal now, Sharon yep. gets grabbed by one inmate after another through the windows of their cells. And as she tries to deal with this fresh horror, she calls for help, and Pyramid Head shows up, cleaving oh. off the outstretched arms of the patients as he passes through. One last one. Fact, fact, fact! Got one last one okay. for you. Pyramid Head in this film is uh, made up of a full body costume, which they blend at the wrists so he can use his own hands. Uh, that took 25 minutes to put on whenever it needed to go on, uh, as opposed to the first film uh, that took three hours to put all the makeup and all that shit on. Which is they probably why he's only a... in it for, like, <laughs> 40 seconds. <laughs> Ah, yeah. All right, so Sharon ducks into a cell that's got this, like, fleshy, fibrous stuff hanging off everything and sees Jon Snow being moved on a gurney. In an operating room somewhere, a group of frozen nurses are hanging out, and Jon Snow's brought in, and they snap into action. And the two orderlies transporting Vinny try to hold the nurses back with cattle prods, but are quickly overcome. And once yeah. the two men are dead, the nurses freeze again, leaving Vinny strapped to the gurney and trying not to draw too much attention himself. How'd no you get that job? Yeah, really? As, as, a, as one of the few human orderlies at that asylum, charged with keeping the devil nurses in check. Especially when they're that shit at it. 
like how many it it seems to be implied that anyone who the cult doesn't like is sent here. Are we to believe that these orderlies have done it that many times and just suddenly fucked up this once? Or is someone promoted to orderly every time someone needs to go there and they just never come back? Is this is this the short straw gig? For yeah, the, for yeah. the brethren, yeah. Is this like, you know, you did a bad thing, so you're going to have to go there as an inmate, and then it's, you also did a bad thing, you're taking the fucker. <laughs> that's a, yeah, it's a very, very excellent question. The logistics of Silent Hill are questionable, to say the least. Yeah. Either uh, way, though, where the nurse scene in the first film was brilliant. Brilliant. Like, this that's one the is, high point of the film. Yeah, this one is basically a carry-on movie. It, it's farce, it's, it's faulty towers. Um, and also they don't do that clever thing where they made the, the nurses, they didn't have trained dancers walking backwards and mm-hmm. then they reversed the So footage. they don't look creepy the way they did. Yeah. No, no. It's just people dressed like nurses fucking about. Swinging wildly whenever they are told to move, basically. Making yeah. really sexy moans when they stab people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, while he's trying to figure out his next move, Sharon creeps up on him and asks how to find her father. It's like, good timing, right? And when he yeah. agrees to help her get to the sanctuary through the amusement park, which, okay, I'm just going to let that lie, uh, she decides to release him. And as she's trying to undo the bindings, the nurses really start getting moving. And, and by the time he's down to one strap on his hand, they're, like, in some serious shit. So Vinny flips the cart, or Jon Snow, I'm sorry, flips the cart, and they <laughs> use it as a shield while undoing the bindings, the last binding, and after they escape, the nurses stop. Shame Dr. Isaacs isn't in this film. Mm. Stop moving again. Back on the streets, Vinny notes that the darkness hasn't passed when it should have, and suggests that it's due to the two halves of the seal coming together, and Sharon and all this crap. And they reach the amusement park, and Vinny tries one last time to convince Sharon that, hey, you know, you could leave. But she once again refuses because I love my dad! And the amusement park's all lit up, and animatronic things are making all creepy noises and shit. And leather boys start moving in. And Vinny pulls Sharon down near a midway game and explains that these uh, the leather boys, which I don't think they were named in the first film, but they are the brethren, and says the sort of things one says right before making a valiant sacrifice. Then he runs out and draws the brethren's attention, allowing uh, Sharon to not get caught, I guess? The leather brethren. The leather... The Leathern. The Leathern. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sharon suddenly realizes that she's at the point of her dream where the creepy-ass rabbit plush is going to turn and look at her. But it doesn't. And then a Brethren guy pops up, and she pulls off his ass mask, causing him to gasp, cough up black blood, and die. So, yeah, the gas masks are pretty important then. Yeah, yeah, because Jon Snow says that they think breathing in the air corrupts them, and he breathes it just fine. Yeah. Um, so it's like, they, what is it? Is it, is it actually that corrupting? with evidence, apparently. Like, they seem to know that. It's not so much a think yeah. thing. He, the way or he is expressed it, like a psychological it, it was a question. Thing. Is it like, if you believe that the air is toxic, it will be toxic? Like, it, uh, <sighs> the leather boys, come on. She runs to the carousel, which, just like in the dream, is powered by Pyramid Head. And the cultists move in to surround her. A ring of fire suddenly engulfs them all. And Sharon sees Alessa, first the little girl version, and then transforming to the emo teenage version. And she's pretty 
pissed off that Sharon came back here and didn't go live the good life that, you know, Alessa was denied and was the entire purpose of her, like, taking away the only positive feeling she had out of herself and, and damning this entire town for eternity. Like, yeah. She goes into what I would call full cringe mode. The dialogue here is so awful. It is horrendously bad. And I but, could destroy you! Mm. And Sharon wants to go save Chris, but Alessa doesn't care because she's all, you know, I'm all full of hate. And they do a hate hug. And yeah, Sharon she, asks, um, she asks at one point if Sharon can save her from the nothing she's become. She doesn't. <laughs> she doesn't. Just, uh, <laughs> they do a hate hug and Sharon becomes more corpsey while Alessa becomes more human. And then eventually Alessa turns into a black smoke and flows into Sharon. And didn't this fucking shit happen in the last movie? Yeah. The carousel slows to a stop, and Sharon comes to and wanders into like what feels like a warehouse that seems awfully close by. And this leads to a to the sanctuary where Claudia and some cult members are assembled along with Chris and and Jon Snow. And Sharon turns to Chris, or Sharon starts running to Chris, and Claudia steps into her path and laments the loss of their sanctuary, but thanks Sharon for helping the cult by joining the two halves of the seal and defeating Alessa. And uh, Sharon asks to have her father released in exchange, but Claudia intends to feed Chris's blood to their newborn blood god once she gets Sharon knocked up with it. So, you know, I mean, there's a whole, like, process at work here. It's, yeah. it's just not a good time. Uh, so much to do. Claudia asks Sharon for the seal, and Sharon seems all too happy to hand it over. Like, like really, really happy to do it. Like, totally down with this. So, like, like, really, really comfortable with the idea with helping the evil person fulfill their evil plan. Lo and behold, when Claudia touches it, Sharon reveals herself also being Alessa and transforms Claudia into one of the monsters from her nightmare. And didn't I fucking see this in the last movie? As Claudia moves to uh, kill Sharon... No, she turns into the, the, the missionary. Is it the missionary? The missionary, yes. Yes, she turns into the missionary and moves to kill Sharon, but Pyramid Head intervenes, and the two fight while Sharon and Vinny... Er, Pokemon! Gotta catch him! Pyramid Head and me! John Snow It's and basically Sharon a Pokemon fight, right? Chris. Yeah, it is. It is. She summons fucking Pyramid Head to fight a monster for her. 3D-oriented fighting happens, and things fly at the camera. Pyramon. Head. So many blades fly <laughs> yeah. across the full it's visual like, range of the film. Up until then, they'd been they'd been shoving some stuff in, into the camera. It had been semi-reserved, but there had been the, 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 there were reminders that you were watching a 3D yeah. film. But this final fight is just. Like, gratuitous doesn't even begin to describe it. No. No, it is... Every swing, every clash. And and every finally decapitated head. Just like, it couldn't be more rote. Yep. It's, he cuts off... A pyramid cuts, head cuts off the missionary's head, and it flies into the camera doing that spinning scream fucking shit. Like... Yep. Like, again, we saw all this when Freddy Vision was a thing. Yes, Come on. Exactly. And Freddy also, Vision if Vision not, at least did it better because inside the screaming Freddy head was another screaming Freddy head. That's it. A- you doubled your Freddy. <laughs> <sighs> also, of note, um, 
the pyramid head, the back of his helmet gets all dug into and clawed up and like scooped out by the missionary. Mm-hmm. But in the scene, then the very next scene, he's it, it's fine. Well, he's There's just, no he, damage at all to the helmet. He's going, he, yeah, right after the fight, he just sort of like there at the sword goes and he just sort of is dragging it and wanders off. Like, you know, okay, no big whoop, I'm done now. And well, he's off. To, he's off to fight in a tournament. Whatever. Yeah. Got a got a got a badge. He's got to get. Yeah. He's a he's a Pokemon. Is what I'm saying. On the streets, Vinny remarks that the ashes stopped falling, and Sharon attributes it to Alessa's destruction. Chris stops them and says he's going to remain in Silent Hill to search for Rose, who remains trapped. He walks back into the fog, and as the fog rolls back, he disappears. Sharon and Vinny walk out of Silent Hill and get picked up by a trucker who introduces oh, yeah. himself yeah, I gotta talk- as Travis Grady. Yeah, I gotta talk about this stuff now. Um, Please do. From this point on, from this point on, the film is brilliant. There's there's only a minute left. Yeah. But but this whole bit, like, actually gives me chills as a fan of Silent Hill. Um, so it's it's just weird. That when I, I watched this film, it was hilarious and I had a big laugh. And then just at the very end, I was like, that's really good. And then the credits roll. <laughs> so they get picked up in a, in a truck. Guy introduces himself as Travis and mentions how he's not been by this way in a long, long time. And of course, if you've played Silent Hill, uh, you'll know that uh, Travis Grady, uh, he even calls himself that, is the protagonist of Silent Hill Origins, which was uh, initially a PSP game. Um, and a kind of a prequel, uh, a prequel of sorts, uh, Travis being involved in the cult and everything. So that's a, a cool nod to one of the non-mainline games. Um, he picks them up, agrees to take them away. They drive away. We see now leaving Silent Hill, at which point uh, you see a police car turn the corner of the mountain, sirens on, followed by a penitentiary transport bus, followed by more cars. And, again, if you have played the games, you will know that um, Murphy Pendleton, or is it Pendleton Murphy? One of those two. Murphy, uh, the anti- uh, protagonist, rather, from Silent Hill Downpour, came to Silent Hill in a prison transport bus that crashed on the way. And that is a reference to Silent Hill Downpour, which at the time would have been the most recent Silent Hill game. So it's obviously implying that there we go, Pendleton's on his way. Gr- Grady may very well have either gone through something just then in Silent Hill or had done some time ago. Uh, so it was just this wonderful nod to the games. And two games that are not that well-known, or at least well-respected in the series, as much as the mainline ones. Uh, and as someone who's a big fan of Silent Hill Downpour, uh, I-, I marked out a little. Like, I was, like, that's awesome. And then the credits rolled, and then that was the end of the film. But that that last that last minute was yeah. I, I thought it was fucking fantastic. Just this fantastic way to end what until that point had been a ridiculous farce of a film. So okay, so I had thought the prison transport bus was a little odd. It was a little out of place, and I wasn't like it wasn't clear to me that it was a prison bus, and that's probably because I didn't really read what was on the side of it I, I might not have been paying attention. I don't know I missed that aspect of it and I wouldn't have gotten that reference right yeah so what I was thinking <laughs> 
is that this is the police finally ah. fucking showing up in fucking Silent Hill looking for <laughs> Sherrod, the killer of Douglas. And you know the best thing? You've just made what I thought was a great ending shit. <laughs> because now it just serves as a reminder that they never resolve a big plot thread. Right. They never visit it again. <laughs> they chose they chose to reference Silent Hill Downpour over actually ending their film. <laughs> and that oh God. is Silent Hill Revelation 3D. <laughs> Conrad, did you like Silent Hill Revelation 3D or not? I feel like I saw it in 2D once before. In a lot of ways. <laughs> um, yeah, with less shit thrown at the camera. And and better. Oh, yeah, way better. I mean, it's uh, instead of... I mean, as much as I, I complained about that horrific dump of information at the end of the first Silent Hill film, that was preferable to the multiple times during which this film forced me to try to do yeah. the same. Yeah. If um, Silent Hill Revelation 3D was made in the 90s, they'd have done all that exposition as a data burst, which, if if those of you listening are unaware of what that is, in the 90s, when VCR was big um, and became popular and people would routinely videotape the TV shows they were watching... A lot of shows would do this thing called a data dump. Sometimes it would be in the credits, sometimes mid-thing. And the idea was it was lots of text and images flashed up very quickly on the screen. And the idea is you would re-watch it on a VCR tape and read it, huh? pausing it was or slowing a... it down. I wonder if that was just a sort of British thing. Cause Maybe. I, I don't recall any of that existing when I was growing up. It was a huge thing for like for a very brief period of time in British TV. A lot of shows did it. Huh. Um, the one I remember most doing something like that was Fist of Fun, which was a, a show, a comedy show starring Stuart Lee and Richard Herring, uh, two brilliant comedians. Um, and and so the they'd purpose of it, it was to like jokes. Well, the purpose was to establish exposition and all of that. Uh, you know, so the the viewer it was could mostly be up for like it was mostly for like current affairs time. shows and like like. Mid-morning TV shows, think not not really things with narratives. Okay, but like it would like provide lots of extra information about whatever subject they were talking about. But I do feel that if this film had been made in the nineties, that's it was essentially a long data burst. Yeah, just this dump of information that's just thrown in your lap. But I mean, in terms of performances, um, everybody's adequate. Like, yeah. Isn't well, it's got theater-trained actors. It in does. It. Yeah. Nobody, nobody in it is terrible. Carrie Ann Moss is exactly what I expect of her. Uh, Malcolm McDowell is exactly what I expect of him. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm I'm happy all around there, but it the the script sucks. The uh, the narratives. Again, it, it was better done. The plot mechanics that they reused were better done the first time. The transitional stuff into and out of the world of Silent Hill was much more subtly and evocatively done the first time around. Um, it, and, and it yes, it's 3D. And there's no escaping that. 
Like, it makes sacrifices in order to throw shit in your face. Yeah. So, is it funny? Yes. Does it have a lot of, like, really hilarious incongruities? Yes. I don't know that it's bad enough. You know? So it's not your best of the worst. No. No. I don't know that it's... I I don't know that it's bad enough to come back around to good. But Mm. there's definitely... There's entertainment value to be had from it if you just, you know, want to see Pyramid slash at things for 30 seconds. But even then, it's a long road to travel to get there, right? I'd rather watch the first one again, and I think that's saying something. Yeah. Yeah. I I loved it. I I love Silent Hill Revelation 3D. Um, Now, and and maybe... Maybe being a Silent Hill fan helps you along that. You'd think. I mean, most Silent Hill fans, I'm going to guess, hate it. Right. Because, you know, a lot of people are protective of their favorite game series, and Silent Hill especially being such a serious series, um, despite having comedy UFO endings and shit. Um, I'm imagining a lot of people consider it a travesty, but I guess that just speaks to the kind of person I am that... The fact it is a travesty, and it is, there's no denying it. Mm-hmm. The fact it is a travesty only makes it better for me. I only find it more delicious that they took something I love and pissed on it so thoroughly. Well, and that's soaking it through. That's and a I just really, adore that. Really valid point that they clearly, someone involved in this has a love for it. Because there is too much reference. There's too... Not, you know, deep cuts. Not surface level. There's a lot of surface level, too. You know, because, frankly, if I can look at it and recognize it as being attributable to Silent Hill, that's the surface. So there's a lot of things I immediately recognize, but then going through and talking about it and, and you pointing out all of the many, many things that are just not surface level at all that tie well neatly into the fiction or at least reflect it uh yeah that's it's kind of fascinating that you you could love something so much and produce this and i I think it happens a lot you know but it happens with films that have lower budgets that have less known actors I mean, yeah, great. there's so much like on the line on this one. That... Everyone in this is is solidly a B movie actor at this point in their careers. Yeah, at least you know? yeah. I mean, and that and that's, but that's not that's not necessarily cheap. You know, they're not demanding tons of money, but these are established people. These aren't, for the most part, the newcomers that you get in horror films. You Carrie Ann Moss, Malcolm McDowell, and Sean Bean. That's a fucking cast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a it's a Yeah, I'll just repeat what you said. It's a cast. Yeah. Um Kit Harrington, I'm trying to remember if this was definitively pre-Game of Thrones. I believe it was. Because it was four <coughs> years ago. Aren't we getting in, into the fifth mm, season? Now? There. Yeah, yeah. I mean it was I mean either way, he's he's obviously massive now. Um and uh, and would have had some traction at that point. Yeah. So it's, yeah, decent cast, and like you say, budget. It was shot in 3D, um, clearly intended to be uh, considered among the blockbusters vying for 3D attention at the time. 
Um, but the story's just such a fucking mess. And that's what gets me the most is it it copies so much from Silent Hill 3. It copies all the beats um, right down to the mall. Like, Silent Hill 3 has um, Heather trying to avoid Douglas in the mall and then gets sucked into the other world and goes through some spooky adventures. And that's all there. Claudia is there. Vincent is there. Douglas is there. The carnival, f- fighting a lesser on the carnival ride. Like, that's part of Silent Hill 3. They copy the beats and yet somehow create such a wildly different thing. Just by tweaking each of these little elements. Yeah, they, t- they change everything just enough to render these two things inconsolable. It's incredible. It, it is... It's artistry, as far as I'm concerned. Not deliberate art, but it is artistry in fucking up. And that's why I adore this. And I do realise that, you know, yes, a commenter on the Jimquisition website told me they watched Silent Hill Revelation in preparation and then immediately followed that up with Fuck You, Jim. Mm -hmm. I get that. I get some people are going to be upset that they watched this. And I don't blame them. But I also just... It's it's up there with Double Dragon, Street Fighter for me as the ones I could easily rewatch and crease up every time. Mm -hmm. The difference, of course, being the at least there was some intent to make you laugh in Double Dragon and Street Fighter. Street Fighter, of course, being a comedy just like Rush Hour. Right. Um, but Silent Hill doesn't intend to make you laugh, and yeah, I... Oh, God. Like, I'm already laughing before Malcolm McDowell appears. Mm-hmm. Once he's on screen, all bets are off. And by the time we've got a Pokemon duel at the end between two Silent Hill monsters... <laughs> oh, my God. What a film. What a film. Well, Jim. Yeah. You know what we didn't do before the show that we normally do? I know, I know. I was I was cognizant of the fact for the past 20 minutes that at some point we're going to have to discuss what film we're watching next episode and we hadn't worked that out. Let's work it out in real time because this podcast needs to be longer. Um, we'll be in November. It will be. Will we? Yeah, so we let's let's not do horror. Yep, I was thinking um, had a couple horror back to back. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Let's ask the internet yeah. what can we do that's good. Oh, Warcraft came out. Oh god, that's um, right. Warcraft is out. We could do that. Is is it on Amazon yet? I think it might be. Because I know it was recently in theaters, and I don't even know if it's in theater. It might be in that limbo time at the moment. Well, I know that it's it was supposed to have released in some form of digital home release. Yeah, um, it's get it Monday on the Blu-ray. It says here. <coughs> I think I could rent it right now. Yep. Fuck. So, yeah, we could do that. Warcraft. Warcraft. It is. That Warcraft is next time. Yeah. Yeah. All We're gonna right. be timely-ish. Hell yeah! It'll be our most recent video game movie ever, um, more or less timely. Current year argument, um, starring people I don't really know. But anyway, Warcraft is next. Until then, you can catch Conrad on the Twitter at Conrad Zimmerman. Should I even mention the YouTube channel? Not right now. <laughs> no? Okay, not right now. Um, 
And we also do a, an improvised comedy podcast together, Fist Shark Marketing, and that's at fistshark.com. Yes. And do check that out. It's quite funny sometimes. It is, it is pretty good sometimes, I think. I like to think so. Yeah. I like to think so. And that'll do it, I think. Is Thank that... you, as always, for listening, for your support. And two weeks' time, we'll be back with the world of Warcraft. No, we won't. Just Warcraft. Just Warcraft.